we are back with another episode of Talking as a Free Action. I'm your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Welcome back to the show. hey <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, how's the week been? Um, it's still Monday. It is still Monday, which means our uh, new episode just dropped yesterday. Yeah, and it was great. No, it was great. Um, if you haven't listened to that last one and you're listening to this right now, uh, we're referring, of course, to our uh, episode what, 49, is it? 48. 48? What? Okay. That, are we sure? I have the even number episodes. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Well, 48. Um, and it was uh, featuring our friend Julian. And uh, if you haven't listened to it, we, uh, I think we could both say it's one of our better ones lately. Most definitely. I mean, not that all of our episodes aren't good, um, you know, but it, it was an enjoyable conversation at the time, and it was uh, enjoyable on the rewatch as well. Definitely one of the better episodes we've done. So I say better, not like our episodes are bad, like you said, just, you know, upper end of good. Of note, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I blame Julian for. Uh, he's always a, a joy to, to play with at the table, and of course uh, was a, a great guest as well. So, indeed. But uh, that's not what we are uh, talking about today. Uh, <laughs> so why not? Well, in part because we already kind of talked about that during the episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, but more importantly, I actually had a. Uh, a, a small little anecdote that I wanted to use kind of to springboard into a, a general conversation because um, I don't know that we've talked about it necessarily at length. Um, okay, okay. So, uh, first little story. So, uh, <laughs> the other day, I was uh, at the card store, the, the local game store, as you would say. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sitting down, I was observing a game of Commander, and uh, one of the players, uh, th- they know that I play D&D, and they had asked for some advice on how to plan for a one-shot. It was the first time they'd ever done a one-shot before. And during that conversation, it became clear to me that this is probably something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, so I figured that we could, you know, kind of hash out kind of maybe some of our methodology and how to plan a one-shot and, uh, you know, see if we could leave this kind of as a uh, as a resource in the future. Uh, yeah, sounds good. So... Um, additionally, I uh, am currently in the process of planning a couple of one-shots as well uh, for, for later this year. So um, it's also somewhat uh, appropriate because it's something that's been on my mind as well. Topical. <laughs> so, um, so, Marvin, when you're planning a one-shot, how do you usually go about things? Like, is it usually that you're asked to do a one-shot and then come up with the idea? Or do you kind of come up with an idea for the story and then kind of work from that direction? Um, it kind of depends. It depends on the group. Um, I have in the past for sure had ideas and just said, this doesn't seem like it's enough to do a full campaign with just this, but I still want to run this one little adventure. So this could be a one shot. Let's run that. How do you differentiate Um, those two ideas? Usually it's how long I think the story will take. And there's no real, like, methodology. It's just, do I think this little tidbit will take more than one session? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're a new DM, you can't really gauge that, but you can try. And I think that's kind of just something that comes out of experience. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, even if it takes two or three sessions, conceptually it could have been a one drop, uh, one shot, and that's okay. Okay. Sometimes our plans just don't work out the way we thought they would. And even one shots that I have run ended up taking two sessions. Um, it just be like that sometime. Yeah, like I think if it does take more than one session, it's not like the end of the world, right? Uh, although mm-hmm. we should always be mindful of kind of what the time frame is that everybody else is willing to commit to. So that is important. And mm-hmm. if I could impart kind of like the first tip, right, is like at the end of the day, we want to keep the story moving. We want to keep the game going. So if you know that you're pressed for time, it's totally okay to cut content in an effort to kind of move the story towards the conclusion that you're looking to try and end the game on. For sure. Um, And usually that ends up being what I do. I just do a little bit less of what was going to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, that's one methodology. I go, you know, I want to run this one session long-ish story and see what happens. Sometimes it spins off into a longer campaign. Usually it doesn't. Um, And there will be other times where um, a group goes, hey, we really want to play D&D. We don't have a DM. Could you run a a game for us? And I'll go, okay. We'll we'll run a one-shot and see how it goes. If I'm feeling it and you're all feeling it, maybe we can do more sessions after that one shot. And uh, I've had a lot more of those over the years. Um, Just because when you're a DM and not a lot of your friends are DMs, you kind of end up running a lot of games. I see. Uh, What are you looking for in a a, a one shot that spins off like that? I guess what I'm saying is when you're playing a one shot and you kind of finish the game what are you kind of looking for in that group to decide whether or not it's something you want to make bigger than a one-shot? Um, so first off, I always plan them to have open-ish endings if everything goes the way that I have kind of charted the one, one-shot to go. Um, so there will always be room for more sessions afterwards. And it's just the vibe of the table for me. That's really it. Just, mm. is everybody having fun? Is everybody engaged? Um, are the players enthusiastic about playing? Do they seem like they want to come back? Um, and do I mesh with them in this setting? Because usually, it, usually it'll be my friends that I'm running games for, but I don't mesh well with all of my friends when it comes to D&D and tabletops. Okay. So when you're like in the process of planning out that that one shot, is it something where you kind of have like a template that you're trying to fill? Um, like one thing that I kind of um, you know advised at the time was, hey, we could do um, like when I'm planning it, I try and do like maybe like a small encounter, you know, small like you know combat encounter, followed by like a social encounter or a puzzle, followed by a big combat encounter, and kind of use that as kind of like my three beats for the one shot. Um, do you do anything similar to that? Um, that I will depend on the group to decide if I'm going to do something like that because not every group wants combat. Um, and you know, 
we always say there's better systems for it, but D&D is just the easiest to teach. Um, so if it's a group that doesn't want to do combat, I will have probably two or three social encounters and one small combat encounter. But I do a similar thing, yeah. Okay. Um, I know that when it comes to one-shots, it's one of those things where you're kind of combining a bunch of different skills to to run the game. Because obviously Mm -hmm. part of that is like designing and balancing combat encounters. And one of the other pieces of advice I gave this uh, acquaintance of mine is uh, the first thing you should really do is just throw out the CR. Like, do not plan your encounters around CR because it will definitely damper things. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, you and I both know that CR is kind of a joke and we never really use it anyways. Um, so I think that's just good advice to give most players. Yeah. Although it does have the downside of like, okay, well then how do I balance my encounter then if I can't rely on this understandable number, right? And Mm -hmm. the the disappointing answer is that the answer is really a lot of math. (laughs) Um, but that shouldn't be off-putting, right? Um, it doesn't need to be like exactly calculated to to precise, but you know one of the things that I always kind of try and advise the player, you know, the, the person who's going to run the game, anyways, is get an mm-hmm. idea about how much damage your players are going to put out on average, and undershoot wherever you think that number is. So, if you're running a game with a bunch of fifth level characters, you know that the fighter has two attacks, uh, and it's going to do a d8 plus four per attack. Um, on average, D8 is going to roll 4.5, round up to 5 um, for mm-hmm. the result. So 5 and 4 is 9. Together, that's 18, right, for each round. So it's like, oh, my fighter could do 18 damage each round. But they're going to miss some of the time, and depending on the player, they may not do that all of the time. Like, they may not even attack every round, necessarily. So mm-hmm. that's why I say, like, use that as, like, the baseline, assuming everything goes right, and then just kind of undercut it a little bit. And say, okay, if they do, if everything goes right, they'll roll an average of 18 damage, undercut it a little bit, say maybe like 15 or something, and then do your damage calculations based off of that for each mm-hmm. character. So the melee characters are easier to calculate. The mage classes are a little bit more difficult. Um, and because it's a one shot, they likely will have like the full access to their spell slots and stuff at the start of the day. So. Mm-hmm you know, that you're kind of looking for burst damage to kind of make sure that the fight doesn't skew one way or the other. But by and large, that's kind of how I tend to calculate things. And from there, I kind of figure about how much HP I want to start with. And just understand that whenever I'm assigning HP to a creature, uh, that's kind of a, ra- a like a fuzzy number. Generally speaking, I try to end encounters around where it feels like they should end narratively. Um you know, and where it's going to like tell the best story. So I might say that we start with 100 HP or something on the creature, but if you know they blitz down the creature and it goes down to you know like five HP, and it's just because I you know misunderstood what the damage was going to be, or maybe they rolled especially high, I might consider bumping up the HP a little bit just so that it's a little bit more of a satisfying fight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that said, if the thing gets crushed because you know your players had a good strategy, or again maybe the rolls were just exceptionally lucky. Sometimes that can be a fun story, too. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like every fight has to be a slog or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I definitely don't think most fight most fights in one-shots should feel like a slog, you know? Um, 
because everybody is there because they're, you know, trying to play the game for the first time, usually. Um, or the group is meeting together for the first time. And it it just feels bad when those sessions drag on. Yeah, like at the end of the day, the primary goal for any one shot is to make sure the whole table's having fun, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, long, boring fights usually aren't fun. <laughs> no, they're not. So, yeah. Um, and I know it's really tough for new DMs to, to kind of try and plan an encounter out of nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, my, my biggest piece of advice is, like, you know, kind of get an idea on how much your, your people are going to do. From there, you can kind of work in, you know, how challenging you want that fight to be. Um, but ultimately, the whole point is, like, keep the combat encounter moving, keep the session moving. You don't want things to drag on too much. Um, which kind of brings me to my next point, which is be sure that you're starting your story kind of at the best place to start that story. Uh, yeah. You don't want to start any session too early in the story. Um but, you know, you also want to avoid being too late in the story, too. Um, you want to kind of which, explain what we mean by that, like, specifically? Because, like, that, that that sentence, right, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I think, in, in normal context, right? What do you mean, start yeah. it too early in the story? Yeah, for sure. Um, I kind of mean... You want to start the story when the players will have agency to affect change on the world. Um... You don't want to start the story way before they can actually act in a meaningful way. You want the players to be able to do things that makes it feel like they are changing the world around them. Um, almost immediately. It doesn't have to be like literally the first session, uh, first se sentence they speak will change something, but you don't want to spend two hours of exposition on a boat where nothing is happening right mm. um on the other hand you don't want to start a story in the middle of a combat encounter usually for a one shot you want to have something lead up to getting there even if it's only a few sentences um you don't want to start like immediately in the thick of every although that can work in some situations so like i don't view it as like a hard fast rule yeah, that's why I said usually for that one. Yeah. Um, one thing that like came up during my conversation mm -hmm. with this person is their they pitched their kind of initial plot idea, right? That they wanted their players to um, accept a job from like a lord or something, and then travel to like a town, and then find out it's deserted, and then mm -hmm. like have to investigate and solve the mystery on why the town is deserted. I'm like, okay, like good, you have a, a good outline. And they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. so I was kind of planning like a little encounter on the way to the town. And I'm like, why would you do that? Like, just start the session when they get to the town. You know, yep. like their their initial plan was to role play accepting the job, traveling to the job site, and then doing the thing. And I'm like, like no. In fact, actually, I take it back. Their plan was to accept the job from a lord and then to go meet somebody else. And then on the trip, come across this ghost town that they'll then solve. And I'm like, you're leaving, like, your players are just not going to engage with this ghost town. There's a very real chance they'll just walk on by because it's not what they're told to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, we're starting way too early. 
right? Why are we role-playing accepting the job when we can set the scenario as the dungeon master in this case, or mm-hmm. as the game master? Because this is, you know, again, these are, rules are kind of like system agnostic, right? It doesn't right. matter if you're playing D&D, Star Wars, Pathfinder, whatever, Lancer, whatever it is. You can use these rules. And, you know, why would I have you role-play accepting a job from, from Fire Lord Zuko and then traveling to some random Earth Kingdom town Mm-hmm. Right. When I could just say, hey, previously you accepted a job from the Fire Lord to go investigate why it is that this town is no longer shipping coal. Mm-hmm. As you arrive, you see that the entire town is cloaked in this strange mist. And as you walk in, what should be a bustling street just has vacant stall after vacant stall. It's like no one's around at all. And it's like, great, like we're in the thick of it. Now the players are like drenched in the ambiance. And you've easily skipped what could have potentially been over an hour of wasted time as you yep. explain the roleplay encounter, allow the players to roleplay with each other, allow them to procure how to travel, do the traveling roleplay, roll up a random encounter on the traveling, you know, in route, and then eventually get to the stuff you actually wanted to do. Yeah, no, that's way too much time. Mm-mm. So, um, so definitely you don't want to do that. And again, to start too late, you could, you know, say, Hey, you did this and you went to the ghost town. And when you got to the ghost town, you discovered that there was a strange alien device inside the mines. And after you traveled into the mines, you find yourself in this large amphitheater. And it's like, well, crud, like we skipped some of the cool parts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like, yeah, we could start a session, like a, a one-shot there, right? Like, starting the cool amphitheater, if there's, like, a bunch to do afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah. But again, like, you've kind of skipped some of the, the fun bits, the, the, the mystery part. So it really just depends on what you want to emphasize, right? If you want to emphasize the mystery, discovering what happened, and then solving the problem, you could start when they get to the town. If you want to emphasize maybe exploring a strange ruin that was discovered... You could still set it, you know, couch it in this ghost town mystery, but, you know, think about how that's going to play on the players. Are the players going to want to spend time exploring this ruin when they feel like they're supposed to be figuring out why does the ghost town happened or reporting what happened to the town? So the other piece of advice I can kind of give for one shots is like, be very clear with what the directive is for the players. Um, make sure it's unambiguous what they should be doing, um, at least at the outset. And try to make sure that you're very clear about kind of how to go about solving some of those problems. Uh, you don't want it to be too, too vague because that can leave players, uh, especially new players, feeling a little bit lost as to what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's some really good advice. Because, um, you know, new players really are like lost little sheep sometimes. They they have no idea what their options really are, especially if you say you can do anything. Um, that throws a lot of a lot of new players for a loop, and they don't know what to do with their lives at that point. Yeah, sometimes that'll happen. So providing a little bit of scaffolding to to kind of cling on to does go a long way. Now, as you probably remember with our conversation with Simon, sometimes it's the opposite. They have no preconception on what they shouldn't be doing, so they just try anything, and that can be really freeing. 
and certainly mm-hmm. really fun as a as a game master. So you know, it really will depend on the table, of course. But I think when you're planning on the outset, you don't want to rely on the players uh, being too independent in that respect. And you want to give them kind of some some direction, because even veteran players can grow frustrated if they're not sure what they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you just stick me in a world and say, hey, you have one session to, you know, complete whatever story this is, but I'm not telling you anything... I'm definitely going to get frustrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but ultimately it it can be really fun. Um, I've had a lot of fun playing and running one uh, one shots in the past. And as I kind of think about the one shots that I want to run, I kind of run into some of these issues, right? Um, Because, Mm -hmm. you know, as you know, I'm in the midst of planning for a, uh, a return to intrepid adventures uh, coming in winter. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which is like rapidly approaching. I only have like, you know, four or five months to, to finish planning that thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of stuck as to where I want to, like what kind of story I want to tell. Cause in one respect, I do want to, you know, pick up on some of the like leftover plot lines, but also I know this part this party very well. And so without mm-hmm. like a direction, um, I know you guys will absolutely spend the entire session in an Applebee's if I let you. Um, no. First of all, not with Gris there. We will spend our entire session shopping. <laughs> we'll spend maybe ten minutes at Apple. Yeah, nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's something I'm definitely kind of thinking about and also thinking about like kind of what story I want to tell, right? Because mm-hmm. the cool thing about doing one-shots, particularly if you're using them as an opportunity to go back to other characters that you, you guys used to play, um, is that you get to kind of pick up on where you left off with some of those characters and fill in some gaps on maybe story beats that you wanted to cover but didn't. In my case, I'm thinking about, okay, well, I could use this as an opportunity to fill in some story for, like, Dremis, who really didn't get that much of an opportunity to play, um, or Rogue, that is, um, story beat-wise. But, you know, maybe I'll use it as an opportunity for, you know, filling in some gaps in my current campaign as well. So, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think that puts you in, like, a very unique situation where it's not just giving some some players some extra oomph to their character where they didn't get as much as you wanted in that previous game, but also because of the connections to your current campaign. It also lets any players in both campaigns get some extra information for their new campaign. Yeah, precisely. So it's a little bit of a unique situation. Uh, contrasting that with um, with a different one shot that I'm kind of in the midst of, of planning as well, um, in that I recently was talking to to Rob about maybe running a one shot for them, just you know, kind of mm-hmm. as a fun thing to do. So I was kind of in the process of thinking, oh, what would be a fun little story? And I was actually considering uh, adapting maybe one of the murder mystery um, sessions that I ran, even though it's pretty combat light. So so we'll see. I like that. That sounds fun. Yeah, um, it was an old session that I ran. Um, In fact, I think I may still even have it written down somewhere. Um, Yeah, so... (laughs) So I have this um, this one shot. I actually wrote down um, kind of the the outline of this one shot because uh, of the session rather because I wanted to use it as a one shot later down the line. Um, but basically, uh-huh. it's like a murder on the Orient Express kind of deal, except it's on a boat instead of a train. 
Sure. Same thing. Seems good. Yeah. Um, and so I thought it was a it was a fun like kind of it was essentially a self contained story. You could drop this story into any you know in, in any situation, but basically you know the players find themselves in you know need of hiring a boat and traveling from point A to point B. And mm-hmm. during the journey, the captain's murdered, and the players have to you know prove that they weren't the ones that did it, um, or you know figure out who actually did um, before they arrive at shore. At which point, the first mate will then say, "Well, you know." They're the most likely culprits, as everybody else is is well known. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd play that session. Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking about maybe doing that. Um, the only thing is that there's no combat in in this encounter, like at all. <laughs> if it, mm-hmm. depending on how it was run, so I was considering maybe retooling it to have something of a combat encounter, um, depending on how it goes. So. Uh, which could be accomplished by just retooling some of the NPCs to being combatants instead of, uh, you know, just characters. Uh, you can do what Doctor Who did with their Orient Express episode. Uh, would you like to describe it for those who have not seen that uh, 12th Doctor episode? Uh, yeah. Um, basically, it was just a murder on the Orient Express, except the players would, you know, make it known that they're just going to solve the mystery. Um, by having some easily provable way that it wasn't them. And then there's a zombie that did it, or something like that. And, you know, the combat encounter could come from them finding the thing that actually did it. And having to fight that thing. Ooh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Maybe there's some cursed artifact that they need to discover that was brought on board without anybody knowing. Or maybe somebody knew they were bringing it on board and they thought it was just benign. Yeah, or just absolute bollocks. No such thing as curses. <laughs> that would be great. Just no such thing as curses. This didn't happen. It's like, what do you mean? Have you never heard of Vecna? Vecna who? What's a Vecna? Is that a cheese? Is that the dude from Stranger Things? <laughs> uh, yes and no. <laughs> No, the answer is just yes now. Did you see that they changed what Vecna looks like to what? just look like the dude from Stranger Things now? No. Yeah. Officially, Vecna looks like he does in Stranger Things now. Oh, I hate everything about this. I saw that figure and I was immediately upset. Why, wizards? It's like Wizards of the Coast has no confidence. This, all right, we're going to tangent this shit. Right, it's like Wizards <laughs> of the Coast has no confidence in their own IP, right? Like, uh-huh. you know, you have like Magic the Gathering, right? ostensibly the largest card game item in the world right you know like there's no other larger card game the only game that competes with it for that argument is pokemon at this point because pokemon has larger brand penetration more people know what pokemon is if i you know like i saw on on the internet that there was like there's magic the gathering themed cheese it boxes which like yeah were excellent boxes i think one of them was a booster snack which i was like all right that's whoever thought that pun was yeah, should get it's actually really good marketing. I yeah. love it. It's great marketing, but like the average per- consumer who picks up a cheese it box will have no idea what they're looking at. Just straight yeah. up. Right? Whereas I guarantee if you slap the goddamn Pikachu on it, they know absolutely what they're trying to get cross-marketed for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Wizards is just not very good. They don't have like good mascot. Like they, they don't believe in their IP like <laughs> at all. Um and, and that's, I think, part of the reason why it is that they're just using everybody else's uh, for magic nowadays. Yeah, that tracks 
hundred percent. Right. <laughs> and like now here again with, with, with like Dungeons and Dragons, like we, we don't have the confidence in our own IP in our own Dungeons and Dragons IP that we have to use the, the, you know, creative inspiration from stranger things because more people are going to be familiar with that and perhaps would be confused or angry when they realize that Vecna does not in fact look like uh look like a slug man <laughs> without any clothes. Yeah. Yeah. He does wear clothes. The new the new um I guess art. I'm not end figure. He does wear clothing. Um but they just changed it to look like that actor in the makeup and I was like the thing that got me the most upset was that one of the things I like the most about Stranger Things and their understanding of D&D and D&D um, monsters is that the characters in Stranger Things know that the monsters don't look like what they, they're dealing with, but they don't have any better analogs, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, to make Vecna look like their Vecna just feels like i don't know it's it not the spirit of like what they were trying to do yeah it's not the spirit of what stranger things set out to do originally <clears throat> yeah and like i really like stranger thing like a lot it is solid it would have been a lot better were they not like completely kneecapped by covid <laughs> during the production Oh, yeah, for sure. But, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. We're going to have a bunch of 25-year-olds playing 12-year-olds or 14-year-olds or however old they're supposed to be. No, there's a time skip. I mean, there was a small time skip, but doesn't account for all that. The last season's going to have a real time skip. And, you know, they're only early 20s in whatever the last season was. So, like, you know, normal Hollywood teenager age. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Anyway, we're wildly, uh, you know, we're, we're wildly deviating from what uh, the whole point was. Um, and I'll do it again. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> so I was considering uh, kind of retooling this. I might, I, I might do something about that. Um, about that, because I, I have this kind of whole outline here, anyways. So it would mm-hmm. be fairly trivial to like retool it to make something a little bit more, um, a little more fun. A little bit more Ubian? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a little less satisfaction, a little more action. Oh, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> uh, it was fun. This was actually the, the one shot. Um, th- this uh, session was actually where we got our uh, the shrimp cult uh, from, my, from my campaign. Oh, no. This is where it originated from. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it here. <laughs> it's amazing. So, so listen, <laughs> listen. That teaser at the end of that campaign for the shrimp cult being relevant again—if we ever continued—pissed <laughs> me off. And the worst part is, I knew it was coming because you told me it was coming back around, and it still pissed me off. Yeah, I suppose I should do a one shot about that, shouldn't I? I hope we don't. I, but, like, you just reminded me that that's a loose end that I do need to tie up, so. Oh, fuck. It's my fault now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I guess we never did touch on the fact that, that uh, the rogue was brought back with the evil diamond. 
We did. It was the teaser at the end of the last campaign. It was touched on. We don't need to do it again. <laughs> we don't need a full resolution. So, um, <laughs> but the fun part about this uh, about the character in this uh, little section, though, was that like they were like a full on red herring, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, what's with the creepy shrimp cultist? Like, like I don't know, man. He's just, like, sitting on the deck, and he just has, like, a bag of raw shrimp in his quarters, and he just, like, is chanting, and I don't know, man. He seems kind of sus. And it's, like, he's actually just, like, really nice and, like, very much wants you to, like, come to his little soiree, uh, you know, on the coast. But, <laughs> but uh, I bet he does. <laughs> uh... You're not going to sacrifice me to no shrimp god. I tell you what. <laughs> uh, it's like fantasy branch Davidians. <laughs> oh. So. Anyways, what were we talking about? One shots. Oh, right. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of my, my like initial advice and I'm hoping to kind of, um, do something, uh, you know, either I'll do something like that or maybe I'll, I'll readapt the, the Doctor Who version. Cause again, it ends in a big fight, which is always fun. Yeah. And you know, for a one shot for a show, I think that would be really good. I mean, the showrunners of Doctor Who definitely thought so. Yeah. And they didn't even have a real fight. <laughs> or a real show for that matter zing no i'm kidding um i, love I mean you're not totally wrong <laughs> he's my favorite doctor but he had some of the worst writing i mean not worse than 13 i said some not all of it yeah <laughs> you know fuck it we're gonna talk a little bit about doctor who um so I Yay! Was to, uh, during a game of commander i was talking to somebody about it mm-hmm. and one of the things that came up is like like, every other Doctor has, like, like good episodes, right? And it's like, I don't think Jodie does have any good episodes. She has episodes that are better relative to the other episodes that she has. But, like, you know, like, I don't think she has, like, a Pandorica Opens moment. No no Heaven Sent, uh, Water on Mars. Like, she doesn't have, like, a, a defining episode in that way, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I have to agree with you. Um, and I didn't watch her last season. Um, oh, the flux, whatever it was about. Sure. Uh, didn't watch that season. And it was kind of because her first two seasons didn't have any kind of, this is the doctor episode, right? Like every doctor has that thing where eventually you go, yeah, this is the doctor. Even if they're not your doctor, you have the, like, you're like, yeah, this is the Doctor, right? Yeah. Because the cycle is always, I'm gonna hate this new Doctor, they're not the Doctor, and they eventually, yeah, they are. Um, But I never got that with Jody for the first two seasons, and if you can't get me in the first two seasons to go, yeah, this is the Doctor for sure, I don't think the writers are doing their job. Yeah, I really don't think so. Like as sad as it is, right? I was they're like, oh, the um, the Rosa Park episodes was pretty good. I was like, yeah, like it wasn't bad. Certainly, um, the Nikola Tesla episode wasn't too bad. But like 
the only episode of like Jodie Whittaker's Doctor that I could look back and say no that was like a very good episode of Doctor Who was like the the 2022 like New Year's special the Eve of the Daleks yeah because like that was genuinely funny but again it's not like a, a defining moment of the character by any stretch that episode didn't make me say yeah this is the doctor it just made me say yeah that was a good you know 45 minutes of tv yeah and it's disappointing because honestly mm-hmm. that episode was hilarious i never laughed so hard in an episode of doctor who <laughs> i did or at least not a long time anyway Long time for sure, but there was one one bubble episode where the Doctor wasn't in it, and everybody hates it, because it's the episode with Moaning Myrtle. Oh, no. I fucking love that episode, dude. (laughs) It's a fate worse than death being turned to a living fleshlight. Oh, I don't like that phrasing, because he wasn't... You know what? We're not going to get into that. I mean, you're the one who brought this up. In semantics. Yeah, so I think that's the the biggest thing is like I really feel like Jody was was underutilized. I'm really hoping that she finds her way into some of the audio dramas um, that Big Finish does. So that way, like, oh, an yeah. actually competent writer can do something with her. Yeah, that's that's my hope for her too. Um, She'll get kind of like another another life the way that Paul McGann did. Yeah, because like Paul McGann is honestly one of my favorite doctors after listening to some of those audio dramas. He's so good. He is fantastic, and it's criminal that he didn't get like a season at least. Yeah, Lord knows the movie wasn't all that great. No, it's like a if miracle I, that he's still canon. <laughs> if I if I not that great, you mean kind of garbage and definitely forgettable on its own. I agree with you. I, I mean exactly those things. <laughs> oh, that it'll never not be funny to me that the way that the way the seven goes out is gang violence, all things. Yeah, wouldn't have seen that coming. I mean, apparently neither did them. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> Fucking Americans. This, see, this is why the doctor always sticks around Britain. <laughs> There's less firearms. Yeah burn through yeah way more. <laughs> he would burn through way more regenerations trying to talk down people with guns I'll tell you that in the united states anyways he does it with like, mm-hmm. with british aliens and, and british spacefarers all the time they're a lot more reasonable yeah they're british makes sense to me <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh, i am looking forward to the, the doctor who commander decks though me too I hope they're better priced than the Commander Masters Commander decks. This is an awfully low bar we're setting, so... <laughs> hey, man. I didn't think this was a bar I even had to set, and here we are. Yeah. That's true. That is very true. Have I ever mentioned that I hate Magic the Gathering? Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it comes up occasionally. <laughs> Uh, circling back a little bit um, when it comes to like setting up a one shot right um, mm-hmm. let's say you have somebody who's relatively new um, do you think that if you're like new to the system you're okay to still do a one shot um, 
Probably. I mean... I don't see any reasonable difference between a one-shot and a short homebrew campaign at that point. And I know a lot of players are going to start DMing with something they with a story they want to tell anyways. Of course not everyone, but I know when I did my first run, it wasn't because there was a module that I wanted to run, it's because I had a story I wanted to tell with my friends. Mm-hmm. So like if you're new and you just have a really short story you want to tell, I don't see the problem with running a one-shot for your first campaign. I almost feel like the problem's the opposite, though, right? With newer dungeon masters or newer game masters, that they have so much story to tell. <laughs> they don't know how to channel it. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, like I, I said, there's the, no problem with it. Yeah, I kind of see the other uh, issue that we pointed out, right? Like, starting too, you know, starting too early, starting too late. This is kind of an extension of that, where it's like, you have too much you want to do, and so you need to, like you know, kind of zoom in the scope of the story that you want to tell in those instances. Mm-hmm. You know, like, everybody wants to do a one-shot of, like, oh, I want these characters to save the world. And it's like, yeah, I mean, and maybe you can still tell that story, but, you know, just be bear in mind how much time you have to tell it. Yeah, how much, how much setup do you have for them to be, you know, world-saving heroes in one session? Yeah, and, you know, maybe they're unlikely heroes and they're contributing, right? Um, maybe they stumble into saving the world. They didn't, you know... Yeah, that's a... That's just like most D&D parties, right? Just stumbling into saving the world. Yeah, but I mean really stumbling. Like, they they don't even know they're actually saving the world. <laughs> um, one thing I, d- I did want to ask is, uh, as far as, like... As far as, like, level, where do you think is, like, a good sweet spot? For a one-shot, I, and you know I'll never say this in any other situation, I think one is just a good level to start at. Really? You don't think that that would be a little boring? Um, no. And here's why. While you're restricted on actions, at level one, everything is dangerous. So everything could possibly kill you. There's a lot of going through the, for that vibe, right? But like, I feel like a better level would be like anywhere from like three to six. Um, see, that's just what I do for normal campaigns, and there is significantly less danger. And I know, like, not everybody is looking for like. I'm going to have everything kill me, but the tension of low levels, especially level one where everything is risky, um, that's something that can sell a lot of people on D&D. I mean, that's true, but I'm kind of looking at it from the GM's perspective, right? Like, it's a lot easier for things to go really wrong by mistake. So, like, to me, when I look at that extra HP, like, I think of that as kind of a safety net to prevent the new GM from accidentally TPKing the party during what should be a fun, you know, a fun session, you know? Um, just don't TPK the party. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's easier said than done when you have the experience. But, uh, like, if you're if you're green to, to GMing, like, I can imagine very easily how you might overestimate the party's capability. 
uh, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of your advice was to overestimate the party's capabilities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, well, no, my, my advice was to underestimate their capability. Figure out what you think that their damage is and then assume it's going to be lower than whatever that number is. Well, then I guess I heard you wrong. So, like, that's the thing. Is like, I think it's really easy to, like, accidentally assume your players are going to do a lot better than they actually do. And, like, sometimes the roles just don't cooperate and that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think that those higher levels and that higher HP total is going to afford you a little bit more lenience. Um, particularly because it might not be clear that things are going really poorly until suddenly two people are down and you're not sure how the third's going to pull this out. Um... Deus Ex Machina? Definitely an option, but not desired. Right. <laughs> no, never desired. I'm having flashbacks, sorry. <laughs> so I know we touched on it a little bit, but one thing I did want to mention is my enjoyment of utilizing one-shots as an opportunity to tell parallel stories to the games that I'm currently running. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and like that can take a few different forms and it's one of the things that I really love doing with my one shots now that I've done it a few times which is either A using it as an opportunity to tell a story of something else that's happening at the same time mm-hmm. um, or otherwise tying those characters back in so with Intrepid we did this a couple times with the Exandria um, party but even now you know, we're using it as an opportunity to to kind of show either like an epilogue or give more context to what's happening in the current storyline. Um, when I was planning one-shots in the past, other stories that I was considering of doing is showing kind of what my main bad guy was doing at the main t- uh, at that time, uh, Charles mm-hmm. in this instance, by having you guys play as another party that was under their employ and only discovering at the end of the, of the one-shot that you were actually working for Charles the whole time as kind of a fun, <laughs> like, twist. Like, oh, that son of a bitch. Like, we just... You know, <laughs> things went to plan again, right? Um, <laughs> using that as an opportunity to tell that story, or um, in an early iteration of my campaign, um, when the there was going to be like a large uh, tower that was going to um, be collapsed, I was considering uh, having the players run a one shot where they're basically running a suicide mission to take this tower down, right? Um, hmm. So that way, when you guys see the tower fall, like you know that that's from your one-shot session. That's why it's happening. Even though your characters in character might not have the context or know why it was happening. So You, the player, would understand. Yeah, so you can use your one-shots as an opportunity to tell other stories of stuff that's happening elsewhere in the world that maybe will impact your player characters in your main game and kind of give them a little bit of extra, like, you know, here's another, here's like a cutscene, right, of what else mm-hmm. is happening. Yeah, I really like that. Um, it's kind of disappointing that we never got to see that tower fall, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's one of those things where it's like, eh. Sometimes you just gotta let the let the pieces fall and move on from the initial concept that you had. Because ultimately, that's what it was. It's just like, the camping kind of outgrew that idea. And... Mm-hmm. 
you know, I got away from kind of thinking that it was a good idea to do it. So I did still incorporate that into the story beat, but it was just something you guys weren't around for. So, yeah, it still happened. We just didn't see it. Yeah. And basically I tied that back to like, well, you guys didn't, you know, meet Charles on the altar and that would have been what that was. Mm hmm. So. But yeah, so that's one thing that you can do with one shots. I, I think maybe isn't done often enough um, as kind of, you know, another avenue to tell more of uh, more of your story that you might not normally get to tell. Yeah. And, you know, tangential to that, um, if you want to tell side stories, they don't have to be one shots. You can run mini campaigns in like break weeks and stuff like that. Um, because our friend Dylan, who's been on the show, he ran a whole mini campaign um, for a side story for our superhero game um, in the magic sector. And it was, I think, 12 sessions, and we never finished it, but it was directly related to events that were happening in the game. And we were just playing side characters who showed up later to help us defeat the big bad magic evil thing at the end of that campaign. Nice. Much like the the Alexandria party. Yeah, it was exactly like that, except instead of a one-shot, it was, you know, I think we ended up playing four or five sessions of the 12 planned originally, um, just because, you know, we all got too busy to play that second game once or twice a month. Yeah. Give me a big ask, you know. Mm-hmm. But those those side stories don't necessarily have to be contained to one shot. And it felt real good to have uh, both of my characters in the same combat. <laughs> For the second time. <laughs> yeah. So we touched on a lot of advice for dungeon masters going into these one shots. Um, any advice that you would give for players? Um, if you know what helping your DM out looks like, as far as, you know, story beats and not being problematic, do your best. Running a one shot is not easy. Um, and pacing is very difficult to get down for a one-shot as a DM. Um, So if you can help out your DM, do everything you can. Uh, It'll be, in my experience, most fun for everyone, if you do. Um, Otherwise, experiment. One-shots are the best place to try out builds you normally wouldn't have time to try. Um, Or like... Try out character types, archetypes that you normally wouldn't play. Um, doing something different with a one-shot is a very non-committal way to learn a lot about something new. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a good opportunity to really try out other classes that maybe you mm-hmm. wouldn't have an opportunity. Because when you play long-term campaigns, you end up playing the same class for a long time. And unless yeah. you're constantly like retiring characters, like you're a lot of times going to be in it for the long haul, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. And I played in another campaign. My friend Dave ran. 
uh, that was basically just a series of one shots, and every player had, I don't know, eight or nine characters at the end of it. Actually, I'm exaggerating. I think we all had five characters except for one person. Um, and it was just so some of the newer players could just try a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we played, I don't know, six or so one shots where it was just new characters every session. And they were all connected in like one world. We all worked, all the characters worked for the same company um, that was started by characters from the end of that previous campaign, technically. Um, so it wasn't unconnected one shots, but it was a bunch of one shots. I think it's really cool, though. Like, mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is it allows you to kind of mix and match the characters in a way that you wouldn't be able to. And again, you kind of have that opportunity to do like a big event later down the line where maybe everybody does show up to, to pitch in. Which is exactly what happened. We did mix and match a lot. And we did have our big, um, our, our huge, like, big boss battle. Um, and it was great. I had a lot of fun with that campaign, and if it wasn't for three actually brand new players, I don't think I ever would have had that experience. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's one of those things with, like, honestly, it sounds really cool, and I kind of want to do something like it. Um, just because mm-hmm. it's a cool opportunity to really let people stretch their, you know, stretch their wings and, and you know, really try out the limits of, like, what the system can do. Yeah. Um, this was in 3.5, so there were a lot more character options. That so I was a just... Dramatic understatement. I was going wild. And I I built my first boring character ever. Your first one. Um, my first boring character ever. It was just a fighter. Fighters aren't boring. <laughs> they're kind of boring. And 3.5, they're kind of boring. But, like, they're not boring in general. This was 3.5, though. <laughs> there 3.5 fighters were kind of boring. <laughs> I love fighter now. It's one of my favorite classes. Yeah. It's also my favorite dip class. If If I've got space in my build, I'll take two levels of fighter every time. Yeah, just a little action surge uh, as a treat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I earned that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm playing a fighter right now, actually. Um, in mm-hmm. Dustin's campaign, a uh, Psy Warrior fighter, and I'm having mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of fun with him. Um, the, something that I hadn't considered, but was like really happy to realize, is like the fact that fighter gets so many extra ASIs through the build really goes a long way towards giving you a lot of customization. Um, like oh, yeah. Wise. For sure. And we happened to roll for stats, too, and since my stats, like, out the gate were, like, pretty passable, and the fact that, you know, 5e runs off a bounded accuracy system means that, like, I don't really feel the need to have to max out my stats in the way that I had to in other editions. Yeah. I mean... It's just... It's nice to not have to worry about your stats too much a passable stat is way more usable in 5e than it is in other systems. 
Yeah, like a well, fourteen is like still reasonable for a lot longer in in fifth edition than it is mm-hmm. in, in any other. In basically every other D twenty system that exists. Yeah, so I've definitely been enjoying it, and I've been enjoying the character. Mm-hmm. That's dope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, I didn't roll great in everything, but you know, got an eighteen in strength, and I think got like a sixteen in charisma or some, or no, constitution rather. No, no, I'm sorry. It's eighteen strength. It's a plus four in strength, a plus two in dex, a plus two in con. A plus three in intelligence, and then like a plus one in wisdom, and a plus zero in charisma. You should have put that plus three in charisma, my guy. I'm I'm a psi warrior, so intelligence is my other key stat. Forget your key stats. Nah, man, I want my I want my bumps. <laughs> Instead of doing what psi warriors do, you should just talk your way out of everything. Does <laughs> that make me a Jedi? Um, kind of. Yeah, I didn't want to be a Jedi. Why not? I, because if I wanted to be a Jedi, I would have played a Jedi. Like, I don't know what to tell you. I had this yeah, but you never have time. before. I've played a Jedi before. Kulu doesn't count. Kulu definitely counts. Nah. Not only does Kulu count, Deja counts. Deja definitely doesn't count. You didn't play him as a Jedi. I played him as a Jedi at the end. That was a whole session, my guy. It was like five. I don't believe you. I mean, you could believe me or not, you were there. Was I, though? For context, everyone, this is a Gungan that I played that was a was a, uh, a medic, and I got Force-sensitive due to plot reasons much later in life. Yeah, you were basically dead. <laughs> I mean, hey, I wasn't that old, okay? You were basically dead. I was like in my 60s. It's not that old. Bro. I'm basically dead right now, and I'm 31. That's because you... You had like... generation. That has nothing to do with your age. You had like two and a half feet in the grave, my guy. Oh my god. (laughs) Anyways, Kulu definitely counts. Um, this, This Gungan being Deja's son, and was actively trained as a Jedi, so... I really don't understand how that doesn't count. I mean, I don't consider Lila a character that I played. I don't think they really count. I I definitely count them. We've played sessions. Um, yeah, a lot of it was that. forum based, but but we did play actual sessions on at least one occasion. Yeah, I don't count them. Well, I do. I think it counts. Like forum RPG, like forum RP is just the same, is um just as valid as like playing in person. It is a different style of game, certainly, but it does count. Whatever helps you sleep at night, bud. I don't sleep. Oh, great! So this doesn't even help you sleep at night. That's so sad. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Speaking of which, I, I have to mention this just because it keeps coming up during uh, Dustin's game is um, the Revenant, the um, like character type, right? Like a uh, race, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, species. Um, Revenant. The fact that they don't eat, drink, or sleep, <laughs> um, or need to breathe, is incredibly inconvenient 
because it feels like every time Dustin's like, oh, as you're as you're eating this, or as you're drinking this, or as you're falling asleep, I get to just constantly chime in, yeah, I don't do that thing. <laughs> just constant buzzkill. <laughs> That's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> he just needs to get more creative, I guess. But like he was like, oh, like he's trying to do like a dream sequence, right, for my character. It's like I don't sleep. I it's like like at you can't all. Can't have dream sequences. I don't sleep. Like eventually, like I just decided to like fine. I'll play along, right? Maybe I nod off a little bit, right? <laughs> just just for a couple of moments. But like the 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 race doesn't need to sleep like straight up as long as they are doing light activity like they can just benefit from an eight hour rest as long as they don't do anything of meaning during that eight hours and they're totally conscious during the entire time that's wild it is and it makes me very good and very helpful during watch Mm -hmm. who's doing watch the one who doesn't go to sleep that's who the one who never has to worry about not being aware. Yeah, like I'm just constantly aware. Like, imagine if I took the alert feat, I'd be unstoppable. Uh, I don't like this line of thinking. I actually think I'm going to do it next time. Next, I next feat it. I get, alert. I think is on the on the the short list of things I should grab. Poor Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine once I grab the alert feet, I'm just hopped up on, on freaking caffeine or something. Like, instead of before, where I just, like, was standing there with, like, kind of a half-dead look in my eye, now my eyes are just wide open and just darting around left and right. As you nod off, I don't. <laughs> what do you mean? You did that one time. I was less alert that time. Yeah, it happened once. I had a dream, and never again. It's like, are you sure you're okay? It's like, yeah, my character has like just the jitters right now, but it's all right. <laughs> and you could just be like, he hated dreaming. The hallucinations were too vivid. He wasn't. He wasn't a fan. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, w- one of the funny bits that I've done with this character though is like because because of the fact that I'm like half dead, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I. Uh, I was trying to persuade a group of barbarians that we meant no harm, and like I rolled like a one or something on the persuasion, and Dustin was describing. It's like yeah, and so basically I, I try and explain that like no, I've actually been sent on a holy quest from my god, and as I look at the barbarian, a fly just lands on my eye, and I don't seem to notice. <laughs> That's great. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like it's like. He's undead! <laughs> Kill him! I would. Uh, I've, I've done that bit a few times, and it's funny every single time. <laughs> Just... <laughs> oh, Something man. Something wrong about that, man. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. It's really fun. I also love playing into the the stereotype that like everyone is just scared of, of and hates zombies <laughs> like because one time somebody's gonna kill a zombie and it's it's gonna be like warm bodies the zombie was the one that was gonna stop all the other zombies from murdering <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah uh, actually speaking of zombies um did you or have you watched uh, the new uh, zombie anime that's running right now uh, Zom 100 no I'm waiting until there's more of it 
Okay. I couldn't wait, and I read the entire manga. Jesus Christ, Owen. <laughs> so I'm up to date now on that, and it's very good. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, it's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. But, like, it basks in, like, the ludicrousness of it all. Uh, this is the one where the uh, guy's just excited to be in the zombie apocalypse because he doesn't have to go to work, right? Yes! Yeah. yeah. He, like, has this revelation as he's running from a horde of zombies that he no longer needs to return to work. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is magnificent. And, That's me in the zombie apocalypse. Honestly, same. But one thing I will say is that the the cast of characters that like begin to populate this series as it goes on just it's just wonderful just stupid <laughs> shit just keeps happening the 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 manga is written in such a way that it feels like a zombie apocalypse D and D game where like dumb <laughs> shit just works sometimes but like it's okay because mm-hmm. it's fun I love that it's like. It's like, what do you want to do? I want to be a superhero. Like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, I'm going to go get a, a shark suit from the aquarium and put it on. It's like, wait, what? Goes to save some people or whatever. He's like, huh, they can't bite me through the shark suit. The sharks can't even get to me. And then he's like, wait, ow. Oh, God, that worked. That hurts. It's like, yeah, the, the teeth can't pierce you, but they can still break your bones. He's like, oh, God, I need help. Uh, Tuscate? No. Uh, it's like, no, you got yourself in this situation, you'll get yourself out. But what if I can't? Then you will have learned a very important lesson. <laughs> uh, wait, did we just quote Finding Nemo? Probably. God damn it. Something, something, the media we consume influences everything in our life. Something, something, 80% of our episodes boil down to this. That's true. <laughs> that said, I did actually uh, see, <laughs> speaking of media we consume, I did actually find the um, the Avatar The Last Airbender uh, TTRPG in a store for sale. Yeah. Which, Which like, store? Target, of all things. That's wild. I wasn't ready for you to say Target. <laughs> it's like oh my local games are like, not nah, Target, bro. Um, and it wasn't that bad. It, like I mean, I I considered buying it where I were I a little bit more liquid right now. I would have, but uh, but yeah, I was like oh it's kind of kind of cool looking. Uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, that Julian finds time to to run a game of it because uh, I definitely wouldn't mind uh, trying that out. Yeah, me too. I really want to play that system before I try to run a game of it. Um, just because you know it's another system to learn mm-hmm. and I've learned so many in the last like year but I feel like that's a good thing right like expanding your knowledge of like different gaming systems oh yeah it's definitely a good thing but it's a lot yeah for sure I know, since, I know it's kind of selfish, right? Maybe I should hit up Julie and be like, hey, man, do you want to like, run a one-shot for this August instead of me continuing where we were at? Because we, we were at a good stopping point, so like, if we take a, a month off, it's not like the worst. It's not the worst. It was a good place to pause. But I think all of us are too invested in that campaign now. <laughs> Damn, I did too well. Yeah. 
You you really did. It's like now everybody wants to find out what happens. Like fuck. No, now we all want to be the pirate king. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah. Do I, one piece rap. I yo I yo. Anyway. Uh, don't give it up, Luffy. <laughs> Speaking of One Piece rap, I'm not going to allow Netflix to trick me again. Um, I know everyone's saying, oh, the One Piece trailer looks good. And I'll concede, the trailer does look good. But I refuse to believe that it's a good show. I just, I can't see it. So here's the thing. Here's my take on that, right? At this point, I don't care if it's good. And it's just because you can tell if you like One Piece and you like you've kept up with One Piece, you can tell that they care about One Piece. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who made it, the actors for sure, the guy who played Luffy, like they did a a, a reaction video where the uh, stars watched the trailer for the first time on camera, mm-hmm. and the guy who played Luffy cried when he saw it. right like the people who are doing this show actually care so i don't care if it's good um just the fact that they care unlike with death note and full metal alchemist because those people definitely did not care means that i'm okay with this adaptation but like counterpoint cowboy bebop who cared about cowboy bebop they, on that production staff. I mean, the the three main actors did, certainly. But did the whole... Listen. Did they have a beautiful new arrangement of Tank for Cowboy Bebop? I don't think so. No. Of because... All the things they, wait, no. They, well, they had a new arrangement for Tank, but it wasn't a good one. Because, like, the arrangement of We Are, the first One Piece opening, that they used in the first trailer... And I don't think it's even in the show. It's just for the trailer. Was better than the actual song. And I love that song. (laughs) Alright? Everyone working on One Piece cares about One Piece. Yeah, and I know that, like, Oda signed off on it, right? He also forced lots of reshoots. Oh, did he really? Yeah. That's so interesting. Like, there was an article I saw earlier today about how Oda was like, No, no. This isn't right. We're reshooting this. And they're like, but it's done. And he said, no, it's not. (laughs) If it was done, you wouldn't need a reshoot now, would it? (laughs) Uh, Well, I guess that's the benefit, right? Like, ultimately, it's like, it's his property. So, Mm -hmm. like, if if he doesn't sign off on it, it doesn't see the light of day. Yeah. Um, Which I think was a mistake that a lot of adaptations had previously um what not involving the the mangaka yeah just having the mangaka sign off on it beforehand like dragon ball gt style and just doing whatever they wanted and the mangaka was like i don't care i did my job i made the story i wanted to make if you guys want to bastardize it afterwards that's your business um and they all did invariably except speed racer inexplicably inexplicably speed racer up until this point in history is the best anime adaptation to live action 
I guess we'll find out in a, I don't know, when does the new One Piece show come out? Uh, I want to say the end of August, but don't quote me on that. Cool. Well, we'll find out in the next few months if it gets dethroned, but I'm not going to hold my breath because Netflix doesn't have exactly a, a stellar track record in this area. Cough, cough, death note. Yeah, or literally anything else that they adapt. Cough, cough, bebop. Alright, look, at the very minimum, based on the trailer, it cannot be worse than, like, the, it can't be bad. It pro- it may not be good, but it can't be bad. It can't be unredeemable. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Like, I I feel like if, if the manga can signed off on it, like, it's, at minimum, it's probably passable. Mm-hmm. So... We shall see. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I think we're running up on time uh, for today. A little bit of a shorter episode, but I think uh, I-, I think that we-, we got some good points in there. So, um, Hey, man. Some of our shorter episodes are some of our best episodes. That's true. That's true. Uh, it's kind of like uh, kind of like golf, where uh, the-, the less of it there is, the better you did. Right? I... Not the message I was trying to get across, but okay. We'll roll with it. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Actually, no. Uh, it's like bowling. Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, you, pl- you you get a certain amount every week, but some of it is just better than others. But there is an upper limit to how good it can. Wait, I don't like this analogy either. Um... Um, we'll come up with a better analogy next week. I don't know, sports. Anyways, you can catch us live, uh, well, not live, live, but we will eventually get back to doing live streams. But in the interim, uh, you can catch us every other week on Spotify and your other major podcast players. Um, you can catch us on Twitter as well, or strokex.com. Uh, anyways. I, I, I hope they change that back soon. I don't know. I think Elon just really wants people to talk about him and desperately, like, you know, just has, like, a pathological need for people to care about him. You mean he has a pathological need for everybody to permanently move over to threads? Uh, I mean, yeah. Speaking of which, do we have one of those? If not, we We are on threads. Oh, we're on threads. Uh, What's our our, our thing on threads? It's the same as our everything else, at T-I-A-F-A podcast, because it's just our Instagram. Boom. All right, and for now, you can catch me on Twitter slash X dot com uh, at Vlad Beaver. You can catch Marvin at Taiyugetsu. Uh, and as always, have a good one, everybody.